Hello and welcome to this Institute for Government event on lessons from shocks and crises, how data can deliver for government. And we've certainly had our share of shocks and crises over the last five years. How many of us would bet on the next five being any calmer? And data has been central to the government's response to those crises. Uh, and we're all in our own lives now desperate for the latest data, absorbing it from social media and elsewhere. Um, we want to know more about the Omicron variant, the latest Brexit trade flows or the underpinning evidence uh, on uh, climate interventions uh, uh, as we uh, get to net zero. Um, my name is Alex Thomas. I'm a programme director at the Institute for Government and we've got a brilliant panel to help make sense of how government can learn lessons from those shocks and crises and use data more effectively. And we're really pleased at the Institute to be presenting uh, the event in partnership with EY. So thank you to EY and it's great that we've got Jane on the panel today. But before I get to the panel, some parish notices. First, uh, we will be tweeting from at IFG events. So please join in using the hashtag IFG data. And we want your questions. Use the buttons on your sc uh, screen if you can say who you are and where you're visiting from and have a look at the questions as they come through and uprate them because that will uh, uh, mean that uh, I'm more likely to spot the questions that you really want uh, answering. Um, so uh, without further ado, let's introduce the panel. Uh, Neve McKenna is Chief Information Officer at NHS Resolution. Uh, they are the experts in resolving uh, concerns and disputes in the health service. Neve worked at Accenture before uh, joining NHSR and has a lot of experience in technology, data, artificial intelligence and more. John Byrne Murdoch is the Financial Times' chief data reporter, master of the uh, COVID chart and a must follow in the FT uh, and on Twitter. He's also a guest lecturer at the London School of Economics. And Jane Duncan, as I mentioned, is a partner at EY. Um, she's worked at Capgemini and Atos uh, and has been involved in many ways with EY on government technology projects in DHSC, the Home Office, Ministry of Justice, the Met and uh, elsewhere. And uh, last but not least, Matt Warman is the uh, MP for Boston and Skegness. He was the Minister for Digital uh, Infrastructure at the Department for Culture, Media and Support uh, and Sport. Uh, and before that was at the Daily Telegraph focusing on technology. So welcome all of you. Thank you for joining us today. Um, I was just going to uh, start with a few kind of open questions to, to, to you as we uh, as we uh, uh, beg begin. Um, Neve, starting with um, you, you were you joined NHS resolution. You were sort of close to but not directly directly involved in all of the pandemic response, given the nature of the um, uh, work there. What have you seen from that perspective about how government uses data and what lessons would you uh, draw out to kick us off? Thank you. So delighted to be here. Um, so I suppose the, the main thing that I, I, I saw as a joining was, um, uh, you know, with that move to digital, as we were all kind of trying to get online and, and start working in, in more digital ways, is that necessitated a lot more a sharing of data. And I think um, with that response that the NHS was doing more broadly, they, they needed the data and they needed data to flow seamlessly. And I see, think it really unlocked some possibilities um, for people because they could see a the benefits of, of sharing data. They saw that it was 
possible in a way that perhaps people hadn't really contemplated before. You know, it kind of really focused the mind. So, so I think in that sense, it was a very good thing. Um, and I think it allows particularly organisations like ours perhaps to um, challenge ourselves. Uh, we're, you know, we're, we're historically very, very cautious about sharing data. Um, naturally, so the, the data is 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 very uh, very sensitive. But on the other hand, where uh, it needs to be shared, where there is a specific reason for doing so, then we really need to be more open to doing it, um, and perhaps just kind of cut through some of those governance steps a little bit more, uh, a bit 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 quicker, a little bit more focused. Thanks, Eve. Uh, that's a, a great start and a good point. Matt, um, picking up some of, some, of, some of those themes, but also um, I'm thinking of some of the critiques that uh, I hate to uh, mention it so early in the uh, uh, in the event, but Dominic Cummings and uh, others about uh, the skills that um, those in government have about both uh, sort of identifying and then presenting and using uh, data. How do you think um, civil servants, ministers um, can improve the skills that they've got in, in using data and what have we learned from these these crises and shocks over the last few years? Mm, no, th thank you, Alex, and, and thank you for inviting me. I, I suppose I'd say two things as, as a starting point. The first is that government's use of data has never been better. Um, and the second is that it's got a massive way to, to go still. Um, and if I think back to the uh, COVID response, then one of the first things that we did uh, was put together this enormous um, internal dashboard um, of uh, data that was uh, updated incredibly regularly, that was uh, very quick uh, to expand, to include new uh, categories of interest, that was uh, genuinely underpinning the government response. And, and I think you, you can have a separate conversation about to what extent did the uh, government follow the science, which almost by definition is a, is a lagging indicator, if, if that makes sense. And we're sort of seeing that now with the response to the new variant where government is having to try is, is having to work out what its response should be while simultaneously saying we do not have the data um, on uh, what the best response uh, will be so we'll be more cautious that I think is a, is a subtle shift from where we were earlier in the pandemic and it tells us that uh, data is is obviously hugely important but it is not uh, the sole thing that can dictate what is ultimately uh, a political response and I think in some ways what data reveals very often is that uh, it doesn't give you as many answers as people might wish ultimately these are uh, questions that end up uh, as political decisions and, and quite right too in, in some ways but it can be a frustrating experience for all concerned uh, the, the two things I would add to that however is that uh, government does not yet measure enough and it does not yet share enough um, partly to, to reinforce what Neves just said um, when I was for instance uh, doing uh, work on trying to expand uh, when I was Minister for AI trying to expand the number of people involved in AI scholarships involved in uh, were in, in the sort of programs that government was really heavily subsidizing really heavily promoting um, and, talk, and we didn't initially uh, track even have any data on uh, what the number of white working class boys white working class girls were uh, that were coming through on those programs so uh, groups that we know are massively underrepresented that are massively uh, a part of the program we weren't even collecting the data we do now 
Um, and, and I would probably say that I think we were probably always going to start doing that, regardless of me jumping up and down about it a little bit. Um, so, uh, so, so we don't measure enough. Um, and also, uh, as Neve said, we, we don't share enough. There is an assumption within government, uh, sorry, within the public, uh, that you tell the government something and they uh, therefore know it and that they can tell uh, other bits of government. Of course, in fact, if you tell your GP something currently, they can't even necessarily uh, share it in the way that you might wish with your own hospital. So uh, those sorts of things, I think, uh, underline that it is really challenging to move from uh, where we are now to where everyone knows that we would like to be. And I'll, I'll just finish, I guess, by saying uh, that my overwhelming impression from this, uh, from, from that, those, those bit, that time of government that you mentioned, is that we need to have, obviously, a huge uh, eye on uh, the security and privacy of, of citizens. Government has a unique position within that conversation, but we also have to uh, take a, a bit of a a view that says if we build compelling products, people will uh, get behind them, people will see the benefit. Um, and I think it is possible to square that circle. And hopefully we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, as the conversation goes on. Brilliant. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, that's really helpful and picked up on a number of themes. I think we will come back to about the decision making and how decisions, how data can be used to take decisions, but not be, you know, not, not falling into some of the errors about the uh, follow the science as you as you picked up on, but also uh, uh, some of those lessons, particularly from the early days of the pandemic about that other countries, uh, how other countries used um, uh, data um, and the uh, the privacy, civil liberties uh, and uh, sort of effectiveness uh, debates. So we'll definitely come back to that. So thank, thank you. Um, uh, Jane, I heard Neve and Matt talk there about some of the skills in government. Um, uh, from your perspective, uh, you're sitting close to government, but outside um, as a you know contractor consultant. Um, how, how good is a government at tapping into external expertise on data, and uh, uh, how can it um, uh, do more effectively without do that more effectively without without breaking the bank? Yeah, thanks, Alex. Um, well, I think so. First of all, I'd say um, I don't think um, any sector's quite nailed how to use data and the expertise around data um, as well as they could yet. And uh, to me, it feels a lot like the journey that IT functions have been on over the last 20 years, where um, starting to realise there's some very specific skills that the function needs kind of some investment and that can then really help drive decision making. So, so that's the sort of work in progress, which is very much, I think, what Matt and Neva both described already. Um, I think from the perspective of the data itself, there's just much more sharing and much more awareness of the value of data and how different different sources of data can interconnect and, and really drive insight. Um, from the expertise side, I think there's been, not surprisingly, realisation of huge gaps in skills um, during the pandemic where suddenly everyone wants to look at their data in different ways and the private sector as much as the public sector with lots of economic challenges facing them. Um, Something that's interesting in central government that we've seen is more consolidation of um, data teams and that's enabled um, more awareness of where the gaps are and where the specialist skills need to be, which I think over time will translate into more career paths and more dedicated investment in the in the hot skills areas. Um, in the short term, it's meant uh, a big sort of influx of, of the specialist skills, but I think over time, um, as, as the kind of career pathways develop, there should be more dedicated specialisms within the data field that which will help on the on the um, growing the sort of home expertise in this area. 
Great, thank you, uh, uh, Jane. And we'll come back to lots of, lots of those themes as well, sort of central central data teams with uh, uh, with the right skills. Um, uh, John, uh, you obviously, from your perspective, you're uh, looking at government data, trying to interpret it, trying to turn it into the uh, fantastic charts that you uh, uh, that you do that um, uh, that we all follow. Um, how good was the government at presenting data? How did it get better over the course of um, over the course of the pandemic in particular? Um, we, uh, you know, we know about the coronavirus dashboard. What did you what, what did you think the, the government learned as it went on on the fly? And how do you think that that might um, be applied in future? Yeah, it, it's been really interesting to watch this because obviously I've been seeing this happen all over the world as well and, and see how different governments, different countries have been approaching this. And I think broadly speaking, the UK has done very, very well. I think the volume of data that's been available both to the public and to, to specialists and journalists like myself has been much higher than almost any country I've seen in the world. The timeliness of that data has been very, very impressive. I think, you know, people can, we, we get used to what we've got and it can be easy for people to think, oh, this thing about the UK government data is annoying, but there are countries where you don't know what's what, what the data was from a week ago, let alone that day. And in the UK, we've got the exceptional um, UK HSA dashboard, which is being updated every day at four o'clock with enormous, enormous amounts of data, way beyond what you actually see on the surface of that dashboard. I think also the, the government press conferences were really interesting to see how that evolved um, from the early days of, of relatively simple bar and line charts to slightly more ambitious things as time has gone on. You can see that there's a team there really trying to get the most effective and most um, important information at any given time and you know there was that infamous one I think it was similar to this time last year um, or it might have been when the Delta variant struck and uh, the the aspect ratio of some of the charts wasn't lined up with the how it was being broadcast and, and that led to all sorts of people saying oh, this looks a bit amateurish but again I, th I think that was a relative exception um, and the norm has been good quality um, high volume information that, that the British government has been putting out. I think in terms of how different places are doing this within within the UK, for example, it's interesting to see um, differences between England, Wales and Scotland. And I think one thing that can sometimes frustrate me a little bit as a as a practitioner is um, when data is put out in a dashboard, but there's no ability to go and download that and go and do the sort of mashing up that data with other data sets that is often where the real value lies. And I think, again, that's one thing that um, England has done exceptionally well at. There's not only is every bit of information that you see on the, the English COVID dashboard, not only is that all available, but there's loads more. Whereas I've sometimes been frustrated by, I'll, I'll go to the Welsh government's dashboard, for example, and I can I can see these charts, but if I want to download the data, that's another question. So, yeah, there's there's been some some minor minor quibbles there but compared to the vast majority of other countries i think the uk as a whole and, and individual nations has done exceptionally well at making sure that everyone has the information they need there's there's been very very few times when i've seen something and not been able to get hold of the underlying data it's really interesting and very striking to get your um uh, actually pretty pretty positive uh, take there uh, and i think it's a you know it's a reminder whatever the frustrations are that there's um uh, you know there's there's uh, lots of good stuff going on 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 data as well i was um also struck by some of your uh, points about uh, using data and uh, access to it which would resonate with colleagues at the institute for government as we do our our charts as well i'm i'm going to um so for the ne next um 
phase of this, I think it would be really interesting to dig into some of the points that Matt, I mean, all, all of you were making, but Matt in particular, about the um, uh, sort of democratic use of data, uh, the use of data in a, you know, in a society. There were assumptions made early on uh, in the pandemic that we couldn't do what some Southeast Asian countries had done uh, in terms of um, using data to track people or to identify them uh, or um, uh, to, to support res restrictions. I mean, Matt, do you think that has do you think that's changed uh, as a result of our experiences of the uh, of, of the pandemic? And will that inform how policy is implemented in in future, not just in pandemics, but you know across across the whole field of government? In um, if I'm honest, I'm not sure that bit has changed. Um, I think the, the thing that definitely will require some reflection is the initial assessment from uh, social scientists that the UK population simply wouldn't wear a lockdown. Um, we know in the first instance that compliance was incredibly high. I, I don't think we should necessarily conflate that with the idea that people would be happy with a South Korean style uh, change uh, and, and sort of surveillance. And, and I think if we were to have moved to that uh, up because of the pandemic, then I think there would have been some much more fundamental democratic questions to ask than there were around the, uh, even around the incredibly stringent uh, changes that we made around asking people to stay at home and work from home and closing schools and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So, so I think uh, there, is, there is a very vigorous debate around free speech and freedom of data and data privacy and all of that in, in the UK. When, when, I was, when I was at DCMS, I was very keen to sort of say, okay, Big Brother Watch, okay, Open Rights Group, I want to see you, I want to talk to you, I want to understand your concerns, and I want to some extent to call out some of those, uh, what, what I thought were, were, were rather spurious arguments about a slippery slope when actually government always stands on a slippery slope and says this is where we are and this is what living in a, a democratic western country means uh, and, and it means that we will make sure that we don't go uh, further than people are uh, comfortable with within some pretty broad parameters that are very different from for instance uh, even uh, somewhere like South Korea, which obviously is, is still uh, very much on our side of the democratic argument, if I can put it like that. Um, uh, Neve, how's that, how's that debate played out in your, uh, uh, in, in, in your world? And particularly thinking, yes, about the sort of the, the policy and democratic uh, side of it, but also the use of data and data sharing, which is always a hot, you know, hot topic in the NHS. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a data sharing, as, as I think, as Matt said, uh, people, I think, in general, are probably shocked to know how little data was shared across the NHS rather than shocked to find out how much data is shared across the NHS. Um, you know, people might very reasonably expect to know that if they say something to the GP or some things on the health record, that that would be accessible to any practitioner. Um, so it's a challenge uh, because I think what we need to do is have very grown up conversations with the population about what we share, how we share it, how we use it and why that's necessary and helpful. And those are very hard conversations to have because they're quite nuanced. And so what you get is, uh, you know, big campaigns that, that happen out there. People say, oh, you know, the NHS is selling your data or whatever. And actually people... Uh, you know, haven't really quite understand uh, understood the nuance. I think we need to do a better job of explaining, and uh, and it's quite it's quite difficult to explain these things um, 
because of course everyone wants the data to be shared at the point at which it's useful um, but they don't want the data to be shared if they think it's going to be used for sort of nefarious purposes which I, I can assure people generally it never is I mean we spend hours agonizing over every single you know data sharing agreement we spend we spend ages poring over it we, we think very deeply about about these things and, and and I think somehow we need to sort of expose that a bit more uh, and and help people understand I think if we if we the the other thing what's interesting and I know we touched on Jane uh, touched a little on that is around the skills um because I, I am sort of you know, challenged about this centralizing of skills and building up pools of experts, but actually you need also people who really understand the data very, very well. Um, you know, it, I don't know if you've looked at some of the government sites where we publish and, you know, people publish an awful lot of data in the government, but you sometimes look at the explanatory notes that come with it. And that's the challenge. You know, we if we share data and we give it out there, then people have to understand what it is they're looking at. And sometimes that can be incredibly complex. You know, you know, our organization obviously deal with, you know, claims, they're very complex, things can close and reopen. So just a number like number of closed cases is not a simple thing. You've got to really understand what's behind it. And that requires not just data analysis skills, but I would say kind of data analysis insight and the, and the ability to ask the right questions of the thing that you are seeing. Thanks, Steve. I, I really want to come back to that um, that insight point and the decision making stuff, as I as I, I mentioned earlier. But I'm going to go to what, just to, to stay on the privacy uh, uh, and uh, sort of ethics side of it. There's a question from Anonymous uh, that uh, I will put to Jane and then John actually, because I'm interested in both your takes on it. Um, uh, and do everybody keep keep sending questions in? But uh, Anonymous asks, uh, do you think the privacy lobby have gone too far and created a climate where civil servants don't feel able to complete obviously sensible ethical projects that require departmental collaboration but are a faff for departments? If so, how would you fix it? Uh, it's a provocative question uh, that uh, I think we can guess what Anonymous thinks. But uh, but Jane, what do, you, what do you make of that? So I guess um, I'm very much in the the value of the data and um, having seen some of the exceptional sort of analysis that's happened during COVID, but, but also more widely across government where you put even, even sort of readily available data sources together, you get such fun, you know, fantastic insights that make a difference. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan, but I think there is a risk that I understand, you know, the privacy concerns that, that can go a long way. Um, and as you get down to identifiable data at an individual level, I can see that those sort of exponentially increase. So, um, recognize there is a lot of faff in it and I do do see that um with with a lot of civil servants but I can see trying to balance that is a very delicate line yeah thanks Jane and uh, John there's, a, there's a, another question on the same sort of theme but um uh, uh slightly less uh, uh pointed maybe but from Marcus Clissold Lesser uh, from Traverse uh fascinated by and totally support Neve's point that many people may be shocked uh, and amazed by how little our data is shared within the NHS. To what extent does the panel think that over concern about sharing personal data is preventing inclusive care, e.g. Patient, patient arrives at A&E, but data from their GP might not be available centrally? I mean, uh, uh, John, take, take that from your perspective in, in whichever way you, you want, but what's your take on the sort of the, the privacy and data sharing question? Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's that's been one that I've I personally find the balance is perhaps slightly too far um, uh, angle towards protecting privacy. And again, that's not me saying um, privacy doesn't matter. 
but I think there is a balance here. And I think in the UK and in other parts of Europe, we've perhaps gone slightly too far towards saying privacy comes above all all other um, needs. I think what the, the, the comparison I like to come to on this is a lot has been said about how um, East Asia, particularly places like Korea, have dealt with COVID in terms of really suppressing things in the very, very early days of 2020. And I'm, I'm not saying, you know, the UK should have done exactly the same thing as Korea at all. But a lot of the people who seem to praise the approach of a country like South Korea, which involved a lot of um, data sharing, to put it lightly, um, that that approach seems to be incompatible with a lot of those same people, a lot of what those same people would say about privacy rights. And I think there is a there is a big a big trade off space here between, you know, do we want um, all of our data to be completely available to the government so that they can, um, you know, give you a COVID ping if you walked on the other side of the street to someone three days ago and and that they've since you know, their neighbour since tested positive, you know, that's obviously too far. But equally, I, th I think putting privacy above all else does limit what we're actually able to do. And in those very early days when high precision interventions, like being able to um, lock down very, very small organisations and do very intense contact tracing, those were for some countries the difference between um, having relatively normal life over the last two years and ending up in a full-blown epidemic. And and I just wish we could have more nuanced conversations about, like, as, as a society, about what are we happy with and what aren't we happy with, instead of the first mention of data sharing being met with a, a chorus of voices saying, privacy, outrageous, going to be sold to the Americans, that kind of thing. Because th there are really important issues around what um, data that, our, that the government and, and civil service has access to. and and where that could end up being sold onto third parties down the line. And it's critical that we safeguard that. But I don't want that to start getting in the way of much more benign uses, which at the moment I think it sometimes does. Yeah, there's something about reaching a sort of settled view on on both on the sort of procedural and the substance of how data is used. I mean, there are a few questions coming in uh, before we move on from this on uh, on data being used for purposes other than that, which it was originally collected for. So Steve Black, uh, NHS often claims shared data is tightly controlled and not used for, quote, nefarious purposes. But is this undermined when other departments seek access for non-health related reasons, for example, home office access to health data for immigration enforcement? Someone else uh, talked about the police having access to NHS test and uh, test and trace. Uh, uh, data uh, and then Debbie you've just seen coming in is, is asking about the security of the systems holding it uh, rather than the actual um, uh, fact of data sharing so yeah get, getting to a more sort of solid grounding on a lot of this stuff uh, Neve and then and then Matt your your, your thoughts on, uh, on on those and then uh, and then I'll, I'll move us on a little bit to the kind of decision making and how data can be used for decisions uh, Neve. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I, I can't comment on the specific sharing of, of, of uh, you know, ho home office, etc. But what I can say is, again, I think it's about that necessary conversation. I think, uh, you know, is it appropriate to, to share certain types of data? I think I think the conversation just needs to happen with people. I think what really uh, is difficult is when it, it's surfaced in another context. Uh, so if we say to people transparently, this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it, and we kind of get on the front foot of that conversation, it makes it much easier. Then you can explain to people why I need to share that data with this organisation that might not seem obvious uh, from first uh, look. 
but it's it is it is a it is a delicate balance right so you know where does health stop and other things start it's 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 a continuum it's it's not a it's not a binary yes or no it is often a continuum and it's it's very difficult i think to have these conversations uh in in the course of one hour or or the course of one question it, it's that complex and and i think if we're going to start using data in the way that we've all described and we all want to use a lot more data we're going to have to get better at having these conversations yeah, outrageous to suggest we can't just resolve this in the next uh, in the next uh, thirty three minutes. Uh, Neve. But, um, sorry, sorry. In that, in that in that spirit, Matt, you're the you're the elected uh, politician here. You're the one who has to vote on these things and ultimately sort of represent all of our um, uh, all of our ethical compasses. Uh, what's your What's your take? Um, so, so I think we're we're a very peculiar. Uh, mixture in this country, aren't we, of people who uh, have given huge amounts uh, of data to Google, to Facebook, to Twitter, all, all, all of that, um, and uh, consistently agreed to them doing more and more with it in pursuit of more and more largely free services or free at the point of use uh, services. Um, while simultaneously living in a world where we uh, apparently are told that we have enormous concerns about uh, the sharing of data within government, even when there are huge numbers of checks and balances um, on that. So, so I, I, I tend to agree with John that, that, that there is a pendulum and uh, it, could, it could be in a slightly different place and people could still, uh, I think, really benefit and, and be happy. Uh, the, the only thing I, I would say is Neve is absolutely right that we do have to have a conversation uh, with the public. And I think uh, maybe muscular is the wrong word, but government, I think, could be uh, more strident about making clear the benefits that it is talking about and more, uh, perhaps again, dismissive isn't the right word either, but um, more muscular with uh, people who say that this is part of some weird global plot to turn us into uh, other countries that they usually don't like. Um, so, so I think there's a, bit, there's a bit of room for that on both sides. But crucially, I think if you look at data sharing within the health service, um, it is actually uh, stakeholders within the health service that have very often been very loud voices against what is uh, what are programmes to encourage more data sharing. And I think uh, it's obviously uh, not appropriate to tell highly qualified experts uh, that they are wrong about uh, everything, uh, but it is possible, and I think government shouldn't rule out the idea that uh, the a small number of loud voices uh, from, for instance, GPs talking about data sharing uh, may not necessarily be correct or the mainstream opinion. And perhaps had we got on with some of those uh, programmes earlier on, we would be in a better uh, position. It's it's a difficult balance to strike, but I do think those uh, robust conversations uh, with the public and with stakeholders are, are just as important because otherwise you end up in the position that we're uh, in at the moment, which is that we know that there are an awful lot of silos that could really benefit people. Uh, just, just finally, by the way, um, there is this sort of uh, nirvana idea of might you, when we were talking about Brexit, for instance, um, if you were to log on to gov.uk to, for instance, pay a, pay a tax bill, it would also say, oh, by the way, we, did you know your passport's about to expire? Um, and uh, even further, sort of that holiday you've got planned, did you know that your dog needs to be vaccinated or, or whatever it might be? It's sort of, I, I think there is a really extensive world of possibilities if you join up 
digital identities. And that's where we need to have not just the conversation with the public, but also uh, the, say, say to people, look, you've got loads of options here. You can say yes to that bit and no to that bit. And we can do that in a way that is, uh, I think, open and transparent. And if you really do, are, if you really are happy to uh, say, yes, everything can be linked up, uh, then uh, that's that's fine. And, and, and you're, no, no dog shall go unvaccinated to France or whatever it might be. But that needs to be an open, transparent conversation with the public where the public know that they own their individual data. Uh, and uh, the public understands can, uh, can resonate with and uh, have have a sort of discussion. I also like your uh, sorry, there's a slight echo on the line. We'll uh, carry on. Um, we'll uh, I like your uh, muscular and nuanced, uh, which sort of sums up quite a lot of what uh, uh, what what the, the panel was saying. But it's not an easy uh, trick to to pull. Um, uh, we'll we may come back to it, but we'll leave the sort of uh, data sharing uh, subject uh, there for the moment because there's a question from Paula um, that I uh, love because it. Uh, it's the sort of thing I think of whenever there's an article in the media about big screens in the cabinet office or in Downing Street and data flowing into the centre of government so that um, uh, ministers can can take fantastic decisions. But as Paula says here, um, highlighting the point on asking the right question, as a government, uh, do we or does government focus on the question enough or just on the drive for quote unquote more data without thinking through the detail of our requests? So this point about um, uh, and Jane, I'll get, get your thoughts on this first, maybe, but the uh, you know, data being good, but needing to be shaped and to be in response to a clear policy question that you're trying to um, answer. Uh, do you think the government's good at doing that? How can it, how can it get better? So I think it's really difficult and I think it's definitely true that government is sitting on a huge amount of data that either isn't used or, you know, occasionally some analysts go and have a dig about it. And so, so there is definitely a risk of a lot of kind of sucking in of information that that isn't sort of pointed at anything in particular that said however something like mobility data is something that's really interesting um and and you can put to all sorts of different uses and sometimes you don't know what the question is until some time later um so i think trying to be too specific about you know what's the question you're asking for any kind of collection of data means you, you're not you're not going to have it ready when you need it and and what we do know is that the data sharing agreements and the ability to extract all this data takes a long time so you some of these you have to anticipate a broad area of interest and and start collecting long before you know what the question might be yeah, I think that's uh, right. Um, thank you. And and John, from your from observing, looking at the data and then observing how government acts, uh, are you able to track through an improvement in how the questions have been framed and how uh, the the data is being used in a in an intelligent way? And we're not just in a sort of uh, blanket follow the science equivalent with uh, with with data, but but there's something more. Um, uh, uh, there's a there's a more nuanced, more kind of policy. Uh, informed uh, discussion going on there. John, what do you think? Yes, I, I, do, I do think it has improved. I think because of the, the sort of frequency and almost constancy of the conversation between the people using this data and the people providing it, it does seem that there, this has really been a sort of needs-based approach. There, there haven't been many cases of the, the British government just sort of saying, and here's another data set it's generally been, and here's the particular data set that the public and practitioners need. Um, and that's what's being, that's what's being added. That's what being, that's what's being published. And again, I would say that is something that's not been true of all countries. There ha I have seen instances of a sort of um, style over substance, shall we say, in terms of what, what has been published, both in terms of what 
uh, uh, the actual the actual data that's been chosen and how it's been presented. It's often been a, a government making a big show of saying, and now we've added this, um, just as a way of saying we are being we're sharing more data. Whereas I think in the UK it's generally been very um, sort of policy driven. We started with cases and deaths. We've added hospitalizations. We've we've got detailed breakdowns of what's happening to people in intensive care. Um, the public health officials have responded to things like new variants by publishing uh, the, the most relevant data there as well. So, you know, I can't say how much of that, I don't know how much of that is because of what people in government have been asking for, but I certainly think the conversations between the people who use this data and the people who publish this data have been very frequent and very detailed, such that it's generally been needs driven whenever, whenever we've had more data put out there. So, yeah, I, th I think, you know, that is for me a, a very good sign that generally speaking, when people in, in this country need need more data to make better decisions and the, the government and the civil service have that data, that it does get out there. And, and obviously the hope is that that will continue now on other themes as we as, as COVID hopefully stops being as much of a thing. Big hope. And just uh, sticking sticking with you, uh, John, because there's a question about the role of the media about, and this was in the context of um, uh, data sharing and privacy and facilitating a, con a conversation with the population, whatever whatever that means. But the role of the media, partly in that, but also in uh, holding the government to account for the data that it produces, taking decisions that are data um, informed, if that is the right way to take them. Uh, I'd, I'd love to get your uh, thoughts on the, uh, the the job of the media, given given what you do. Yeah, I. It's been, I think, like with like with any industry, it's, it, there are better examples and and less good examples, and it, it can be a bit hit and miss. So I think I think generally the media has been relatively good in this, in terms of certainly places like the FT. We've really been having these conversations, saying we need we need to have this additional data published. Can we get a hold of that? There were there were cases such as it was I think sort of June. June, July um, of last year when we had data broken down into cases under Pillar 1 and Pillar 2, where Pillar 1 was hospitals, Pillar 2 was the community. And for a few weeks, um, only the Pillar 1 data was being published, despite the fact that we knew decisions were being made based on both data sets. And the media came out and said, you know, made, made a fuss about that, and the government responded by publishing the Pillar 2 data. So I think there have been multiple examples of that, of, of us in the media saying, we know this data exists somewhere, we think it would be beneficial to have it in the public domain and the government has actually done that and, and again i don't think that's been the case all around the world um i think some bits of it have been less good i think there are there are some other sections of the media who can sometimes stay focused on only the the data point that is most interesting to them as an organization even when when there are when when that um data set for example is, is not actually especially relevant to the situation at any, any given time um, but but just on a, on a slight tangent, you you made the you mentioned um, how the whether whether you know the media the media is doing a good job of holding government to account with this data. One thing that I think has felt apparent at several times during the pandemic is that for all that I've been saying about the government publishing a lot of data and a lot of very useful data, there have been many occasions when the policy decisions made by the government have not seemed to match up with the data that they themselves have been publishing. So things like red, amber and green lists, um, those decisions, particularly last year, um, were often quite at odds with the published data on how case rates and and uh, other rates, for example, differed from country to country. Uh, the same when the, the tiers of restrictions within the UK were introduced last winter. Um, some of these 
some of the um, decisions on which places were in which tier seem very, very straightforward. Others really seem quite at odds. And you know, you'll we'll, we'll all remember some of the late decisions about whether London should go into tier two or not, that kind of thing. So, so I think the availability of data has been excellent, but I'm sure because of the nature of politics, we, you know, we don't really strictly live in a technocracy here. And although the data has clearly been used as a guide, and again, there have been excellent reports that have been released along alongside those decisions on restriction tiers, for example, which have tried to explain why each place is put into which tier. But I think they're almost almost out of necessity. They have politics has been playing a role in that as well. So great that we've had this data, but not strictly clear that the government has always been using the data and only the data in its decision making. That's really interesting, John. Thank you for uh, thank you for that. There's lots to lots to chew on there. Um, I mean, sort of still on this theme though, moving on a, a, a little bit. There's a question from Alex Neve that I'll direct to you, but also anyone else who wants to come in do um, uh, do jump in. How do we how do we manage expectations about what data might tell you? It's easy to read too much into data, so I worry about the risk that openness can mean less engagement with those who produce evidence and analysis. So we're producing all of these data, but not this data, but not actually engaging with those who are producing it and um, uh, and uh, assessing it. Neve, does that does that resonate with you or not? Yes, it really does. And, and, and that's something I worry about a lot, actually, uh, and not just externally to the, to the public, but even internally to, you know, my my boss and people who might be looking at our data as well, because particularly as we get to the more advanced analytics uh, pieces, particularly when we start looking at things like AI, um, there is a tendency for people to assume that it's going to tell you far more than it does. Uh, sometimes these things can give you an indication of where to look further. They can show you correlation, but not causation. And uh, and so I, I spend most of my time worried that we're going to, in a sense, over-interpret uh, and, and read into the data things that, that it shouldn't be read. So what, what it's giving me is, is oftentimes an indication that there's something to look at here. This is a, it's a signal not a definite conclusion and that's that's again really difficult because people are busy people you know are, are reading newspapers or you know whatever they're, they're seeing lots of press about oh this can be solved with a bit of ai or a bit of this or a bit of the other and actually you can't and, and that's where i came back you know the point i made earlier around people who really understand the data quite deeply um and can actually help you uncover what it is telling you so it's uh yeah i i i spend a lot of time managing expectations which thanks Eve. which leads us on to uh skills and there's a question about skills but also generally uh, jane i'd appreciate your, your your take on this but um there is there's a specific question uh from anonymous on uh, in-demand skills how has government attempted to compete with the private sector for such specialized data and analytical skills if it can't compete on pay has it attempting to make itself an attractive employer to ensure we get the best data scientists working in government that's quite a specific question jane that you might not um uh, uh, want to tackle head on but but getting the right skills into government government, not just uh, uh, relying on, on, on buying them in, even though sometimes that's the right thing to do. Uh, Jane, what, what would you make of skills in government? 
Yeah, so so luckily I have been working on this exact problem, so I can give a data Excellent. science specific question answer. Um, so I think first of all, what we see is there's a lot of the um, data specialists who are working in the public sector, particularly around COVID, they are hugely driven by a sense of purpose and really seeing the difference that their analysis is making. So I think that's that that's a real draw. I think related to that, the things that that the government can do more broadly. Um, we see that data scientists flourish, all people related to data flourish when they can see the impact of their work. And if they are close to the decision makers, it means that their work gets more interesting. And um, typically decision makers get huge value out of understanding some of the nuance around the data as well, rather than just being handed a dashboard. So I think setting up, um, as, as, as we mentioned, there are more central data teams than there were, but setting up working arrangements where you get close to the analyst makes a big difference in terms of job satisfaction. And then in the longer term, I think um, it's really important that uh, government builds out career pathways, really looks at what would be a, a sort of ladder up through um, a profession look like. And that might not always involve leadership responsibility or big teams, but enables specialists to focus where they want to. And then, of course, because I am obviously sitting in the private sector myself, I think in the scheme of someone's career, a bit of hopping in and out of sectors always adds to experience and exposure. So there are times when, you know, sense of purpose and a really interesting um, role brings more specialists in. But then we know that there are different sectors who do very different things in data. And so it, sh it shouldn't be a bad thing if there's a certain amount of flow across, you know, if we really want the UK to be, leading the world on this, we need that flow between financial services and government and the private sector more broadly. Thanks, Jane. And um, Matt, not to ask too loaded a question, but skills of ministers and uh, MPs uh, in this area. We have a question about the team surrounding MPs properly equipped to communicate complex data to policymakers. That's from Jake, but also more, more generally, I mean, ministerial and MP skills, how are they, how are they on, the, uh, on the register? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to resist the temptation to make any comparisons between pre and post reshuffle. Uh, but uh, <laughs> what, what I would say um, is, look, I, I think, again, it's, it's probably the, sa the same thing that I, that I would say before, but um, MPs and ministers in, in particular are more aware of the issues and the uh, reservoirs of data out there um, than they ever have been before um, and I think you see someone like the Chancellor really leading from the front on this kind of stuff and when you see when you hear the PM talking about uh, how we have been uh, led by the science I think that tells you how uh, high up the agenda this stuff is and that means that people need to be able to understand it and some of the most interesting conversations I had in government were with the analysts rather than with the more senior civil servants, if, if, if that makes sense. Um, and that's because and, and that I, I don't think is that unusual for ministers to say, can I can I talk to the people who have been looking at the details of the data? That said, I, I do sort of think it comes back to that question um, at the begin at the beginning. What, what are the skills you want ministers to have? Um, I'm not sure it is particularly uh, a, a, a problem around uh, interpretation of data because that there, there, there are people who are much more expert uh, in the civil service and beyond to, to do that and EY is an interesting example of working with the private sector but um, a lot of these decisions ultimately data-based though they might be now more than ever end up as political decisions and that's why you've got to I think be uh, as, as a politician I think you've got to be upfront 
they, these are uh, decisions that are underpinned by vast amounts of incredibly uh, sophisticated analysis, um, sort of qualitative and quantitative. But ultimately, this is a judgment call and people are elected to make judgment calls. They're not elected solely uh, to be uh, led blindly by data. And, and actually, uh, if, any, if there were any of these questions were so straightforward that we could just do what the data said and that would be it because the data tells us everything we need to know, then they wouldn't be made at the kind of level that they've needed to be made over the course of the pandemic and will uh, need to be made in a whole host of other issues in the future. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, it's that mix of uh, ethics, politics, uh, technical data and so on that makes the questions both so interesting and, 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 and so tricky. Um, uh, I think we should use the last sort of 10, 15 uh, minutes to really think sort of think forward now. We've talked we've talked quite a bit about uh, the pandemic and learning from that, a little bit about Brexit and about um, some of the uh, uh, ethical and, and data sharing questions. But the next five years, the next 10 years and beyond that, um, uh, what are the uh, big uh, difficulties, challenges and opportunities going to be around data? We're all going to be, uh, hopefully, as long as it's not the um, Omicron variant, um, going to be talking about levelling up quite a lot over the course of the next um, few uh, months as the government publishes a white paper. Uh, that's going to need to be informed by uh, uh, data in all sorts of different ways. I mean, John, a bit of crystal ball gazing. What do you think the big data stories, uh, the big uh, policies that are going to be informed by data are going to be over the next five, five or ten years? Um, I, it's, it's a great question. I think the, the interesting thing is that, that with COVID, we've had this rare example of something that is really about data and yet the public are really interested in. And usually those two things are almost um, antonyms. And I think what we, the issue we'll have with things like levelling up is because there is less sort of layperson interest in looking at public transport connectivity and uh, density of businesses and, and where exactly funding is going to, it means I think there's more scope for a bit of a sleight of hand in how that data ends up being used by policymakers. Because they, you know, they know that sure certain certain news organisations will haul them over the coals, but they're they're not thinking. Oh, the data we publish here is going to be poured over by millions of of uh, armchair. I guess it's no longer armchair epidemiologists. There is armchair infrastructuralists, um, <laughs> and and I think that just puts this in a different space, which is it means it's much more important for people like myself and and journalists more generally to, to become familiar with the key data around something like levelling up because there are, it, it, you know, it's it's a bit like the the sort of misinformation, disinformation, heavily overused term in, in the wider public in the sense that what will happen here is it won't be that the government will be using figures that are wrong, but the choices made over which figures are used and prioritised become really, really important. And and that's where, as I say, I think it's for us in the media to make sure that we know, number one, we know everything about the figures the government is using, but number two, we know everything about the figures the government isn't using but could have used. And, and we need to essentially get people interested in this stuff and, and be able to demonstrate that, okay, policy, policy decision X has been made, which will affect areas A, B and C in these ways. And then to say, now, based on this other data that we have, it's likely that had some other decision been made, it would have um, altered things in a slightly different way. And it's it's going to be tricky, to be honest, because ultimately choices do have to be made. And we as data journalists are, are not really any more um, well equipped than the people who've probably spent months making these decisions to come in and say, oh, you should have done that instead. 
But I think we do at least need to present to our readers, viewers, listeners, the options that the government had um, in, in these when, when these decisions are made and what could have been done differently, even if we don't know exactly how it would have panned out. So, yeah, I, I think the key thing there, it's as much a qualitative task as a quantitative one. It's it's knowing what data we should be using rather than just asking for, you know, a, a sort of leveling up dashboard as it were. Um, although, funnily enough, I'd say if the government were to launch something like a levelling up dashboard, it, this time it probably wouldn't be a great idea because it would be the kind of thing that would uh, present an opportunity essentially for, for data journalists like myself to, to come in and say, well, here's why this is very clearly a sort of um, rose-tinted view of, that they want us to see, whereas you could have shown us data A, B and C. Mm. Very interesting. Um, uh, there was a report the other day uh, that, um, you know, who knows the truth of it, but the Prime Minister is resistant to uh, metrics around uh, levelling up precisely because not even picking the right data, but even if they, uh, you know, whichever data, whichever metrics they, they pick risk um, uh, not showing the government to the best lights. That might be one map for you in a few minutes, but we may come, come back to that. Uh, uh, Neve, I, I won't ask, ask you that, but I'll ask you the same sort of crystal ball uh, question and also thinking about how um, the the government can really distill some of those lessons that you uh, that that you talked about earlier into applying uh, to some of the uh, forthcoming uh, policy problems. There's also a question, as I know you've uh, had some experience in AI, from Phil Golding, the Law Commission, about uh, observations on the use of data in the AI uh, algorithmic decision making context. Should we be trying to ensure there are safeguards in place? Is there examples where data has led to potentially discriminatory? results um, which is linked to parliament's parliamentary scrutiny and things like that so some of the sort of the the, the dangers and um, uh, and risks of relying too heavily on uh, AI algorithms uh, uh, in, in in tackling some of those policy questions there's a lot in that sorry I uh, yes quite blimey uh, so <laughs> so I mean I think in terms of crystal ball gazing I suppose I'll step away from the kind of policy you know leveling up stuff I suppose the things I'm trying you know I think we really need to get right over the next few years are perhaps a, a little bit more tactical uh, one is about that skills building that we've talked about um, we cannot do all of the things that we want be that leveling up be that you know data analysis whatever we don't have the right people inside the public sector as well as helping us from outside and you know some of the things that James talked about are great but we still need to recognize that actually it's quite difficult to get that flow from private to public uh, it's quite easy to flow from public to private uh, it's difficult to get the flow back and I think we need to do a better job in public sector of extolling some of the things we do have I mean one of the biggest things we've got is a lot of data and you know real data scientists get pretty geekily excited about the prospect of you know being able to do data science with vast volumes of data so there's a lot we can offer but we have to be crisper about that and, and I do think we need to work out in our public sector ways of measuring performance and rewarding you know remuneration uh, how to recognize specialist deep technical specialist skills as well as you know being able to manage big teams etc cetera, etc cetera. so I think there's something around that I think on the AI front I think AI can bring a lot uh, over the next few years, and I look forward to seeing what it can bring. Um, I, I agree with that risk around bias, and actually, I think we get far too hung up around AI decision making. I am not expecting to see, you know, you go into a GP surgery in the next five years and just see an arm full of robots, a room full of robots. But what AI can really do 
is help crunch through vast quantities of data and bring up as a decision support tool, as something that helps you identify things or pull out data or get to the, you know, get to buckets of data quicker. Uh, much more quickly than you could uh, just with sort of traditional techniques. I mean, ultimately, it's always been about, you know, writing scripts and queries and pulling out data. It's just AI helps you to do that on a much bigger scale against a wider data set. So I think, again, we need to not think about AI as doing uh, decision making where I agree there is a big risk of inter of bias uh, because of historical data sets because you know sometimes the bias is there and you don't even know it but I think if we use it for more boxed in narrower uh, you know not decision making but supporting uh, role I think it can bring an awful lot and I, I really believe that's an area we should be focused on absolutely over the next few years but we need the right people inside the, the tent, as it were, to help us. Fantastic. Thanks, Neve. Uh, Jane, what do you make of that? Crystal ball and uh, some of the other themes that, that uh, Neve and John were talking about there. So I think it's a really exciting time, isn't it? It really feels like the, um, as we've discussed, the sort of pandemic has really accelerated um, both the public appetite, um, but also all sectors' ability to stand up data teams and and make decisions off the back of complex complex data sets. So, uh, you know, I'm yeah, my crystal ball. I don't I don't really want to take a, a punt on where we're going next on it. Um, but I certainly think it's a really exciting time. As I said at the start, it does feel like th the data landscape is maturing really fast at the moment, um, and the level of investment has exponentially increased. So I think how how skills and functions develop over the next few years will be will be really interesting to see. Thanks, Jane. And Matt, last last question to you in the last few minutes. I threatened to come back to you with the sort of uh, politicians being afraid of metrics question um, uh, and how that informs um, uh, informs what data is published, what data is made available. I mean, what to, to try and make a sort of uh, fr frame it a more interesting question out of that. The how how should politicians approach that uh, sort of question of, uh, you know, I'm worried about being uh, setting up a rod for my own back, but I want to, you know, I want government uh, to be producing the data that um, that will actually allow us to make progress on the policy areas that I care about. What, what's your what's your kind of framework as a politician thinking about that? So, so I think two things. Firstly, that I'm, I'm all in favour of government being as transparent with as much data as, as it possibly can be. But I'm also uh, very nervous about the kind of conversations that that often fosters, which means that um, you, you inevitably have um, a politician from uh, one side of an argument using one bit of data to make to to advance their case, while someone else finds a different bit of data to to advance their case, and th and there is inevitably more heat than light. Um, so, so so I suppose the levelling up uh, question that you asked at the beginning is interesting because how do I expect constituents to measure? levelling up come the next election, I think they'll be looking far more at the number of empty shops on their high street and the number of uh, and, and, and the pound in their pocket and all those sort of traditional uh, things. Uh, that is not something where data is going to be terribly informative in the sense that I can say to, uh, to, to someone in Boston, well, the average number of void units on the high street has fallen from Y to X. That doesn't matter if their sense of their high street um, is that it's stayed static or gone from bad to worse. Now, uh, therefore, 
I, I don't think anyone should be nervous about the data per se, but it underlines that interpretation is the most important aspect of this. And I, and I think there is a danger with some of this that we just fall back into a slightly nihilistic view uh, that the public often has that, that, that it's lies, damn lies and statistics. Uh, I, I think what politicians need to do is tell that story, back it up by data, but also have that more intelligent conversation, that more nuanced conversation that I think everyone here would like which is to say no one piece of data uh, ever tells the whole story and to be honest if you are quoting one piece of data you're probably uh, willfully obscuring uh, all of the others that you might not agree with Brilliant. Thank you, Matt. That's a good, good note on which to end it there. So uh, we've uh, coming up to uh, uh, to the full hour. So thank you, Matt. Thank you, Jane and Neve and John for a uh, really interesting uh, discussion. And thank you uh, to all of you for joining us and to EY for partnering with us uh, on the event. Uh, we've got a, another event coming up tomorrow, picks up on some of the themes that we discussed there. What do we want from our MPs? What do we want from our MPs? There is a question uh, uh, to ponder. It's with Marie Leconte, uh, so Peter Bottomley, uh, Tim Bale and Ben Lake. So do tune in for that tomorrow uh, and to uh, future Institute for Government events, uh, which you can find on our website. Thank you all very much indeed.